What happens when a preacher and a science teacher discuss today's world from a biblical perspective? You're about to find out. This is Beaker and Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hi, Carrie. <laughs> Hi, Christoph. Hey, good to see you again. <laughs> Man, another outstanding day that God's created for us, isn't it? It was a crazy day. Josh oh, and I were talking goodness. earlier about the weather today and my travel through it and the whole experience, but still beautiful. Um, last week, um, after our recording of the podcast, you mentioned a little bit about biomes, and we talked about that uh, briefly in an earlier episode, and so I thought maybe we'd just kind of jump right into that. Okay. Um, and with the, the idea that uh, the biome... Um, and, and you're going to kind of explain that to us, um, but even microbiomes, which mm-hmm. uh, we see at different parts of the body, like the gut has its own microbiome, right? Yes. There's lots of stuff going on in there. And they love veggies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to. Um, and, and how that might reflect either, you know, natural processes or design. Mm-hmm. So tell us about biomes. Give us a little introductory um, statement or paragraph on that, and then you know, let's let's get into where that leads us. Well, good. Uh, biomes, in a nutshell, is basically your environment that you live in. It's your weather, your climate, um, what what the um, what plants grow, what animals grow, all of those interactions between plants, animals, the environment, the weather. And how they interact with each other, how they respond, and, and, and all of those things, that makes up your, your biome, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. And, um, and so we live in one of, uh, um, you know, I know I'm biased and prejudiced in this. We live in one of the most beautiful, greatest biomes that God has ever created. Grassland, biome. Okay. Wide open spaces, um, you know. Uh, a few years back, we were traveling to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I have an adopted son who was there going to medical school. And so we drove to Narlands and then headed up over there. And just driving down the road, there's just trees, on, not just both sides, but right down the middle, too. Yeah. And I'm thinking, uh, what, what, what's over there? I couldn't see anything. I just see trees. Yeah. And, and, and so some people just love that. Sure. That's not me. I love being out like in western Kansas, western Nebraska, where you just look for miles and you don't see a tree. Yeah, I can see what's going on out okay. there. But see, to me, that is beauty. Right. And and you you might like all the trees. You might even like having that oceanfront property, being from the East Coast, Baltimore area and all. Yeah. You know, you you might love that, and that's great, and that's awesome. But our our biome here today is uh, the weather just is wrecking havoc with people. And and so for those of you who might not understand, Garden City, Kansas had winds up to 86 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Further west, they had winds up to over 100 miles an hour. Wow. And here and even here in Grand Island, we had a tornado that was spotted down in Donovan, mm-hmm. just south of here. And so we had a big tornado thing in school and sure. had to, you know, haul, you know, go down to the hallways and, and everything. But you're thinking, my, my wife asked me, she goes, but this isn't the season for that, is it? Right. No, it's not. 
well, why not? I said, well, I'm glad you asked. Why isn't this? Why Science lesson at home. Why are we getting tornadoes December yeah. here just before Christmas? Why is a tornado even happening? I mean, I mean that, that's strange. And so the first thing on social media, you know what I, I see? Climate change. You hit it. Climate change. Right. I'm going, what? Are you crazy? No. See, people don't understand how... All the plants and the trees, the the layout of the land, how all that affects our climate. Mm -hmm. There is nothing out in western Kansas, western Nebraska that will slow down, stop, or change the direction of wind. Right. Because it's flat. Right. And even if there are just little bitty hills, that wind, there's nothing there to stop it. It's just going. The wind comes sweeping down the plains. There's a song. Yes. Right. And it comes down the Front Range, which is uh, this side of the Rocky Mountains there in Colorado. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes that wind coming out of the north from Canada will come along the Rockies there and then start to bend out over into the Plain States. Right. And that's where we get our wind out of the northwest uh, in the wintertime especially. Mm -hmm. And so what causes wind is the heating and cooling of the earth. Right. And out here, because we have no trees, I mean, we have a few, but no forests. Yeah, no forests for right. sure. Um, though up in Valentine, they actually call that a forest up there. Um, I haven't been. But I'm going, okay, I see 10 trees. Okay, that's the forest. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're good. But it's the heating and cooling of the earth. Well, when there's just grasslands, that heats and cools very quickly. Right. And so that's what's causing this. And, of course, we're in a season where, for whatever strange reason, we're, little, we're what, about 10 degrees, 10, 15 degrees warmer than normal. Sure. And, um, and now you can say, oh, that's climate change. Right. We're warmer than normal, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got so much other things to factor in. But that's the heating and cooling, and that's what's causing these straight-line winds. Okay. And then when you get the wind out of the north, the wind out of the south – Remember, heat rises, cold air sinks. So when they come and collide, cold air goes down, warm air goes up. So you're getting this action here, right. which with this and at the angle they're hitting, they start to get that spiraling um, tornadic-type activity. And that's why we see them out in the plain states more often than we do in heavily wooded areas. Right. So that is this, this is this biome. Okay, that we live in, and, and we understand. You go out there, and you know you're amazed the day that it doesn't. The wind's not blowing, you know, sure. like it's calm. What's right. wrong in a here? Eerie in you the know, it, it it does. It is a little eerie because you're so used to the wind, but that's what makes up this particular biome. And people that live here, live in the plain states here, we, we understand it. Yeah, it's windy. Okay, it's blowing from one direction or the other direction. Okay, and some days it's blowing from both directions. Okay, yeah. but that's what the world we live in, and that's the way God created this. And then there's crazy people like me that really love this, mm -hmm. love standing out there and feeling that mix of warm air and cold air hitting me, coming from opposite directions. And oh man, it, it, it's just wonderful, right? And knowing. That it's not random. Okay. And that is one of the keys. It's not random. God has set certain principles in place that causes all of this. Mm -hmm. And it makes it a very beautiful thing. Yeah. So.
So the biome that we live in and other biomes you're saying are a reflection of that creative design. Exactly. So when we talk in terms of biology, which is your area of expertise, um, so biology or, or biological organisms within a biome. Yes. All right. So um, how does that reflect design or as the counterpoint, devil's advocate, how would that reflect, you know, natural processes evolution? Well, you'll find that. Um, so, Dan, you've been in Louisiana. I've never been. Never been. Never no. been to the swamps of Louisiana. Okay. No. You've been to the desert of Arizona. I have been. Okay. You see the swirl cactus down there. Yep. Those are little one-armed bandits. Yeah, yeah. You know, one arm's up, one arm's down, all right? Yeah. And so <clears throat> there is a predator bird that lives there called the osprey. And this predator bird is kind of like – it's a cousin to the eagle, okay, if you will, and the hawk and the falcon. Right. All right. They're predator birds, and they actually make their nest at the top of one of those arms of those swallow trees, mm-hmm. or they're cactus, not trees. Excuse right. me. And and they just stay up there, and they look down, and they see movement. Mm, there's a rodent, and just it makes a beeline, yep. snatches them up, and you know he's having breakfast or lunch or yeah. something, right? Yep. Do you see any osprey around here? I've not noticed any. Yeah, because there's not. Okay. Okay, that's the reason why. Uh, Now, osprey are a little bit bigger than uh, falcons and hawks. Well, them and hawks are almost, but the osprey is just a little bit bigger. Yep. We do have some eagles, but usually further west of here, right? Yep. And and so we're just kind of laying the... Why do we have certain predator birds here that we don't have other places? Yeah. Because we don't have the bald eagle down in desert areas. Right. Okay. But the osprey are the, you know, the apex bird predator of the area down there. Okay. Okay. And then, of course, you have owls. But when you look at wildlife, critters, if you will, in the desert, there's not very many, and they're very selective. Yeah. And... Their bodies are created to handle the heat so that they don't let off a whole lot of moisture because that's hard to come by in the desert region. Versus here, um, it's a grassland. So this is where the buffalo roam, right? Buffalo aren't roaming in the desert. Buffalo aren't roaming in a forest. Buffalo aren't even roaming in a swamp area, you know? The, the swamps down in Florida or Louisiana, there's no buffalo down in there. And there's no buffalo from the over on the East Coast. There's buffalo in the grassland. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they eat grass and it's flat and they can move. And they grow to over a million of these uh, wonderful uh, animals. Mm-hmm. And they're just a whole herd of them just making large swaths through the plains here. Yeah. And... Um, and the uniqueness, the uniqueness to this is that God designed them for this type of biome. We don't see them in the tundra mm-hmm. up north. I mean, we're, we're talking about there where there's no trees right. or the forest regions, the temperate regions. We don't see them. We only see them here in the grasslands, basically. Right. And so when you look around the whole world, you see animals that we, we use the term, they are adapted to their environment. Mm-hmm. 
But the question is, is how did they get to that environment and how did they adapt in that environment? And if you are a believer of evolution, then in those particular climates, in those particular biomes, then you should have skeletal documentation of them changing over time or changing from one species to another to, to be this. Right. The problem is, is, is there's not a lot of that. There's, you know, and you're thinking, well. Well, do we find archaeological ev- evidence of an animal that would typically be in a grassland in a different climate? Do we see that? Not typically. Okay. Now, we do find some domesticated animals, you know, goats and sheep and cattle, because they are considered domesticated in different regions. Right. Okay. Because the people took them with them. Exactly. But what you don't see are the non-domesticated animals being in areas that they have no business being in. Okay. Okay. But sometimes you do see skeletal remains or archaeological evidence of animals that shouldn't be where they are given our understanding of that climate now so true think about like um fossilized fish Mm -hmm. within Mm -hmm. you know the upper layers of the grand canyon Mm -hmm. go wait a second how did that happen Mm -hmm. right so what do you do with that information right well it goes back to as a biblical worldview is you're, you're thinking okay how could fish be found in each of these layers right mm hmm in fact, in what essentially is a desert climate, right? In yes. Arizona. And so you you take um, what what's the highest mountain in the world today? Mount Everest. Mount Everest, yes, twenty nine thousand feet. You know they have actually found seashells top of Mount Everest. Is that right? Yeah. So how do we explain that? Well, the Bible explains Sherpas, it. Per- Sherpas bringing <laughs> seashells in their backpacks to the top. I think so, but we know. At one time, that this whole world was covered in water. Right. Thus, all of the crustaceans and all the little sea creatures, they get spread evenly around the world. Right. Okay. And when they die, they get buried into those particular sediments at the bottom down there. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that doesn't – the evidence of of those uh, creatures within – you know, the strata of a climate that is different than their natural habitat doesn't really uh, interrupt the concept of a designed biome because we're talking about, you know, obviously geological changes over the course of time, but mm-hmm. the biggest of which would have been experienced, you know, at, at the time of the flood. Yes. Right. So the two aren't uh, polar opposites. Um you know, Correct. That they don't mesh, right? That that the one exists and the other can exist too. And the other th- couple other things to be thinking about. So when you're thinking about the the world prior to the flood, remember we, we talked about this a little bit. It never rained, right? So if it didn't rain, that was why it was pretty odd for Noah to build a boat. Exactly. <laughs> and the water would come up under from under the earth. Sometimes there's a mist coming up, mm-hmm. and that's what it watered the ground, sure. the plants. We, none of that happens today, mm-hmm. okay? 
And so when the flood took place, we see that there was great fountains that opened up from the earth mm-hmm. and waters just spewing up out of the earth. And then we see water and raining for what, what 40 days, right? Mm-hmm. 40 nights. So we have all this rain coming down and we've got the earth just opening up. Okay. This does lead scientists to believe that there was a lot of geological changes that took place. Sure. And this would be the second major geological change that is documented. Okay. That'd be the second. What's the first? The Garden of Eden. Okay. Because when God had kicked Adam and Eve out, he also set into place, he protected the garden so nobody could get back in there and especially get back to the tree of life. Right. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that was also a second um, geological time because a lot of geologically, a lot of things took place so that the Garden of Eden now is hidden from us. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, where where would it be if it's hidden from us? Well, um, it's protected by the angels. He put angels to guard it. So in order for us to find it, to find the knowledge of good and evil, find all these things. So where was that garden at on the earth is, is a good question. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, when it starts talking about the four great rivers that come out of it, and we know that the Tigris and the Euphrates – because those have been passed down over history, but the other two was it Pishon and or and the other one I can't remember. Mm-hmm. We don't really know where that was at. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, some of the scientists probably are, are putting a good Have guess. Some theory, sure. But for the most part, we don't know, and so we don't know exactly where it was at. But likely in the Middle East, right? That's where we see the Tigris well, and the Euphrates. Yes, okay. and that's what gives us that big. Uh, evidence a clue it must have been in that area but since we can't find it had to be a geologic change in there okay okay at that time Mm -hmm. the other thing that that is interesting is the garden of eden did not cover the entire earth right okay so it was one biome in itself Mm -hmm. Ooh. Oh, you see how I just slid out That's right. right back into there. Together, yeah. It all ties together. So that Garden of Eden was its own biome in its own area. We really don't know what all was happening outside of all of that. And we don't know how um, plants and animals were growing, what was taking place, or any of that. We don't know um, if they're, what the CO2 level in the atmosphere is for all the climate change of people, you know? Sure. And we, we don't know how much oxygen. We don't know the ozone layers and all of these things. We don't know how it was outside of the garden. Right. And so we had the garden. We don't know how long they were in the garden. But once sin entered in, God kicked them out of the garden, and he protected the garden so man could not go back in. Yeah. Okay, so that was the first major geologic change mm-hmm. since the time he created this. And then comes Noah with um, the flood, which, man, just really reshaped uh, and the, the whole earth as we know it today. Sure. So we have plate tectonics. We can get into earth science. Uh, plates moving. Uh, even biomes are changing because of the flood. Because right. once the flood waters receded, now that changed what took place in those particular areas. Yeah. 
So we, you know, so some places might become more of a swamp area, maybe more forest. It, it, it developed more water from rain because now the, our, our weather system actually started kicking in as we know it today, right. could kick in after the flood. Right. So now we have storms coming and rain and, you know, tornadoes, straight winds, and all these things were happening, mm-hmm. okay, with very few humans and very limited, I guess, limited CO2 in the atmosphere. Sure. You know, this is why I don't get all caught up in all these climate change people, because one one of the interesting things is, is when, I, when you're around anybody who says, oh, that was climate change, mm-hmm. just ask them a question. How? How's that... How's climate change related to that? Can you, you know, tell me about that? Have you asked that question? Yeah. And what are the typical responses to that? I get the typical far-left response. They start yelling and screaming at me, (laughs) cussing at me, and telling me all sorts of things, so they never answer the question. Well, climate does change. It does, all the the time. definition of climate. Yes. Um, And I guess the big, you know, the big question is how much... Uh, of man's actions are related to <clears throat> the changes that we see and can measure, right? And, yeah. and one of the challenges, I think, for for a lot of what we discuss um, is the data that's not available to us, mm-hmm. right? The data that's only been collected for Last, 150 years yeah. or whatever it's been. Um, and so we have to, you know, we take some educated guesses. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we can do core sampling and things like that mm-hmm. that give us an idea of, of, you know, different time periods related to ice ages and periods of warming and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and so we can kind of develop uh, a timeline based mm-hmm. on that. But obviously, a lot is assumed in that. Oh, yeah. Right? A lot is assumed in that because the data that we've collected mm-hmm. really is – not very old compared to the age of the earth, the mm-hmm. age of weather itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where the challenges, I think, come in. And, and certainly that's where those discussions should be open-minded, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have to understand that we're talking about some stuff that, you know, obviously we come into a conversation with our own biases. We uh, come into conversations with our own preconceived notions, mm-hmm. the things that we're convinced of. Oh, right? yeah. And so th- that's the challenge when, when you're certainly convinced and you're kind of closing your mind to the conversation itself and you're just trying to drive home your point, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's never an effective conversation, no. right? It generally ends up one-sided <laughs> or with somebody yelling or with somebody being upset. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true when we think about biblical worldviews, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are certainly very convinced of that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I see evidence for it and I am convinced. And I think that those that would uh, pursue... Um, you know, a study and a dissection and an investigation would get to the point where they're convinced too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's missing, right? That that type of conversation, that type of, of attitude is missing when people disagree. And we see it all over, not just in terms of faith, not just in terms of science, but we see it in politics. We see mm-hmm. it in all, in, you know, in all types of relationships. And so, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned before we started recording was this sense of renewing your mind, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's a good place for us to kind of land um, this discussion. You know, as we talk about um, the biomes that we see on a macro level, yes, right? And, and obviously a lot has been said recently as, as new research has pointed out to microbiomes, right? Mm-hmm. So we hear those terms often. 
um, talking about your gut health and how mm-hmm. that affects every other aspect of autonomous function in your body and your health yes. that you can even recognize. Um, but as we talk about whether it's a microbiome or on the macro level, like we've discussed tonight, that we can see that it's a reflection of design, mm-hmm. right? How many parts kind of fit together perfectly, that there's a synergy, mm-hmm. right? The sum of the parts, um, you know, the whole is greater than the individual parts. Um, that we can see that 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 uh, concept of design. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the conversation, sometimes we get caught up in just trying to be right. Yes. So if, if you don't mind, as, as we, you know, kind of wrap up our time together, um, share with us, again, that sense of renewing your mind and what that means, even as it relates to this conversation, having this conversation with someone that, you know, may be truly interested in, in what it means to have a biblical worldview. Well... If, if you've gone through the public education system, you've, you've had uh, a real slanted uh, viewpoint of creation, mm-hmm. of this world, and what's going on in this world, okay? And, and it's, it's, um, it's a viewpoint that is developed and created over time that is a life without God, mm-hmm. It's a humanistic viewpoint. And so everything that you were taught in biology, your biology teachers, your science teachers, if they weren't Christians, then they were definitely teaching you humanistic science. And if they were Christians, they probably still taught you some humanistic stuff, but not real strong. Okay, They were probably wanting to keep you a little bit more towards the creationist type uh, of mindset, mm-hmm. and so you have all of this going on as you're as you're growing up, and then one day you decided, hey, God is real, Jesus is real, and I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Mm-hmm. So you accept Jesus Christ, and now you you are asked and you are tasked to what read the read the scriptures, right? I, that's probably one of the first things we we tell people when they accept Jesus Christ. Hey, you know, they said, like, what's my next step? What do I do? You know, one of the first things we do, hey, read the book of John, you know, just to get them started, right? John's a good entry-level book in the Bible to read and and to start with. But what that also does, we find out what Paul writes about is renewing our minds with the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And, And what this is all about is you need to read... Genesis. Read the whole book of Genesis and keep, go back and read chapter one again and again. Why? Because you're renewing your mind to not a humanistic view mm-hmm. of our world, but you are you're renewing your mind with God's view of this world. Mm-hmm. This is what he, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Moses, was to write down. Mm-hmm. Yes, they might have been stories that were passed down you know, throughout the ages, and then Moses helped write them down. But it's that inspiration of the Holy Spirit to make sure you word it a certain way and do things a certain way. And that word renews our mind because it's truth. Mm-hmm. And us as followers of Christ, 
we're all into truth. We want truth. So we get into the word like this. And when you ask me a question, well, do I literally believe in the seven-day creation of earth? And I say yes. Mm-hmm. Even though there's other Christians that might have a little bit different theories and ideologies, it's just that, hey, this is what God says. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to stick with it. And I don't want to venture outside of that because this is what I know. Mm -hmm. God said it. He had it written down. He hasn't changed it. He's good with it. You know, he has his stamp of approval on it. So I'm I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read it and say, okay, I'm following this. Right. I'm going to view this world with his lens. So I have to view it by reading the scriptures and being able to, when I see events unfolding before my eyes, I'm not going to listen to the commentators on mainstream media or even on conservative media. It makes no difference who they are. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to see that. And now, what does the scripture say? I yeah. want to run everything back through the scriptures. If I don't spend time reading God's Word, how do I know where to start? Where in the Bible am I going to start to run this stuff through so I know what God thinks? Right. And I think that's really important for us as Christians is to understand the Bible is our document that we need to start learning inside and out. And so you're – so. Your initial reference there is Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Paul's letter to the Christians living in Rome. So mm-hmm. it's kind of an aggressive culture towards their faith, mm-hmm. right? And But the idea is that, that you know, they're, they're uh, searching for that same thing that you've just been telling us about, mm-hmm. right? Where do I start? How do I do it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that the word transform is really the word for metamorphosis. And we know in terms of biology, metamorphosis <laughs> is one thing becoming something entirely different, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, so pursuing God through mm-hmm. his word, which is his love letter to us, mm-hmm. um, is, is the catalyst for that process of metamorphosis in mm-hmm. us, being one thing and becoming something entirely different. Mm-hmm. And I think in that process, in that process of um, discovering who we are in Christ, mm-hmm. right, who God is um, eternally, mm-hmm. right? That, that he's forever present, that he never changes, that his love never changes for us, um, that that becomes part of who we are, even yes. in our conversations with others about all these other topics that we've discussed. Exactly. Yeah. And I think in, in this season, we're getting close to the birth of Christ, or what we celebrate as the birth of Christ. Yep. That's our Savior. There's our Redeemer. Mm-hmm. There's our Deliverer. There's the one who bore our sicknesses and our sins at the cross. Mm-hmm. So to say, point to that day, I mean, and we know that's not the real day, mm-hmm. but that's just the day we've decided to observe for various and sundry reasons. Right. And so, you know, so in about a week and a half, we have Christmas, and he's the one who's transformed us. Right. And there's, that's the beginning of our metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. Because when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we're going to metamorphize from a non-Christian into a child of God. Yeah. I mean, the sense of being spiritually dead. Yes. And then being found spiritually alive. Yes. Awesome, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what a great spot for us to end our conversation this evening. 
um, you know, that's that's some fat for us to chew on. Yes, right? it is. It's, this transformation should be the greatest aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. It should affect everything that we do. Yes. Yeah. All right, Kay. Well, thank you. Look forward to next time. Awesome. All right. All right.